Welcome to Beyond Your News Feed, Understanding Contemporary Politics, a podcast of the Providence College Political Science Department. My name is William Hudson, Professor Emeritus of Political Science and host of this podcast. Today we're going to do an exploration of the Providence College Political Science Curriculum. As a capstone of this political science curriculum, Providence College political science majors take a research seminar during their senior year. Students get to choose from a variety of topics that are offered by professors in the department. These seminars offer students a chance to explore a single topic with about 12 other students and their professor for an entire semester. Uh, and as a part of this experience, students also write a major research paper under the guidance of their professor. For this episode, I've invited three Providence College seniors to talk about their experience in the research seminar and how it rounded out their study of political science at Providence College. Two of the students, Malik Alwani and Addison Wakelin, completed their research seminar last fall. And our third guest, Sienna Strickland, who is also a co-producer of this podcast, is taking a research semester uh, seminar this semester. So Addison, Malik, and Sienna, welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed. Thank you, Thank you for having Thanks. me. Thanks for having us. Okay, great. Well, uh, just to get started, I think our listeners would probably be interested in a little something about each of you. So I wonder if we could begin by uh, you're saying something about uh, your ham hometown and and I'm interest, always interested when I talk to Providence College students uh, about why they decided to come to Providence College. Okay, Addison, you want to start us off? Love to. So I am a senior political science major, Lannenberger and Studies minor. I'm from Westfield, Massachusetts. Uh, and I was actually supposed to go to school in DC for a very long time. I was supposed to go to George Washington University. Um, and then I got absolutely no financial aid from them little typical. So I was like, I just cannot go to a school for that much cost. And so um, I got accepted into PC, a uh, regular decision. And I decided to go in part because of the political science program here, um, in comparison to the other schools I applied to. And I had also never been to Rhode Island in my life. And I thought that maybe going to a new state where I'd never been to, Providence was a really cool city. Um, I thought with the, that and the academic opportunities, it would be a great choice. Yeah. So you say the political science program at Providence College was a factor in your decision. How did you find out about the, the department as an incoming student? So I went to the accepted students day and that's where they had like all of the um, potential majors and some of like the faculty members there. And I was already interested in politics in high school. I did model UN, um, I was involved in all the AP classes. And so I thought, um, why not go up to the poli sci department and get to know a little bit about them. And there were just so many more classes I was able to take here than at other places. Like I applied to UMass, I got into the history program there, uh, but I really wanted to go to PC because I thought being able to take uh, the four core um, principles of political science and then some of the other classes like model OAS, I thought was a really good fit. Well, great, Addison. I'm glad to hear that, that accepted students day was a factor in your decision because the department has always put a lot of effort into making a good presentation that day, so I'm glad in, in your yeah. case at least it worked. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Good. Uh, so Sienna, what about you? Uh, where, where, where are you from and, uh, and why did you come to PC? 
So I am also a senior studying political science with majors in, with, with a minor in writing and philosophy. I'm originally from Falmouth, Massachusetts, so I grew up near the water and the beach, um, eating lots of clams. And I came to PC because Providence was far enough away from home where it would be a different experience, but close enough where I could drive back if I missed home or got homesick. Um, as for why I went to PC specifically, I thought the campus was beautiful, the most beautiful campus I visited. I loved that the school itself had a really strong focus in the humanities. Um, I was also kind of, I grew distant from my own Catholic religion and wanted to come to a school that had those values. And I also really liked that the school was small so I could have a more intimate class setting with my teachers and peers. Good. And Malik, what about you? Yeah, I'm from Chelmsford, Massachusetts, which is like in Northern Mass. And the reason I chose, well, I'm a, a finance, political science major, finance minor. And the reason I wanted to come to PC was kind of similar to Siena, that it's like a little bit, it's close to home where if I needed to, I can go back. But it's also far enough away where it's a kind of an like, extra little bit of a distance. And then uh, the reason why I went into political science was uh, I wanted to do international relations coming into college as a major, but the school only offers political science. So when they told me that there's like, I can take international relation courses, I was um I I just went into that idea into that um that major. Okay, super. So, Malik, what seminar did you pick last semester, uh, and why did you choose that particular seminar? Oh uh, yeah, so I had uh, the politics of climate change with uh, Professor Affini, and the reason I chose it was because I thought climate change is a very big global issue that it seems to that seems will have a pa impact on us for the especially our future as like students now, and then like the future generations. And it's something that I don't really know about, like like the scientific like background on it. Because I feel like it's not really, it's not, it wasn't really talked about that much in the political science classes. So I thought this is another great step for me to take my knowledge into a different area of ex area where I don't have that much expertise. Yeah, that's certainly an international topic as well, right? Uh, dealing with climate change is gonna involve some kind of international negotiations. Yeah. Uh, so so great that fits in with your your larger interest uh, good and Addison uh, what what seminar did you pick uh, who's your professor and why did you pick the topic well on the topic of international negotiations I took the seminar globalization and economic inequality with dr. Bernard C um, and I primarily want to take it because I think globalization is um, still such a pressing issue um, especially coming from the 21st century you know following both um, world wars we see see a lot of um, like economic te technological innovations um, but specifically like within the placement within the international economy that's dedicated to this kind of interconnectedness of people places and things I thought that that would be such an interesting and pertinent topic but also kind of on the flip side of that we also see some of the consequences uh, within a global capitalist system about globalization um, I think we see that primarily in developing countries which is what my thesis was focused on um, but just I thought it would just be a really interesting class looking at the economic effects and those social implications to it of a globalized system. Okay, again, an, an international kind of topic. And Sienna, you're currently taking a uh, research seminar, and so what's that seminar on? Yes, so I am currently in Dr. Finier's um, Black and Latinx Politics Seminar. And the reason I picked this was because throughout my experience at Providence College, I hadn't really focused on you know, really racial issues or contextualizing that. Um, 
and I think like especially as a black American that's something that's pretty relevant to me just like understanding what those issues are and um, how different groups of black and Latino people think about politics fascinated me. Okay, super. So tell us a little something about how your seminar was organized. Uh, uh, how often did it meet? Uh, exactly what was like a, a normal class like uh, in the seminar? Uh, Addison, you want to start us off with that? Sure. So our seminar met every Monday. It was a marathon from 4 to 6.30. And each week our assignment is that we had to read one book for every class that pertained to some type of economic theory and its international implications. So anything from Keynes's um, Economic Consequences of Peace. We read Galbraith, um, Stiglitz. We read The White Man's Burden by Easterly. Um, and my personal favorite was Dead Aid um, by Dembisa Moyo. And um, you read the book and then you just have a class discussion and you were assigned a book um, for wh whichever class, and then you had to give a presentation on it um, and kind of like actively engaging with the class and leading class discussion. Okay, so that sounds pretty challenging. One book a week, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And Professor Ben Artsy had you, uh, had, had students actually lead the discussion of the book as well. Yeah, um, and she was there too, of course, um, to provide assistance, but it was primarily um, just the students kind of leading discussion in a yeah. seminar-based style. Right. Uh, had you ever done anything like that before uh, in, in, in your poli-sci classes or other classes? Um, I've led class discussions before, but not on 400-page books before, no. Right. right. And what about this idea of having to put together uh, the, 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 the outline for leading the discussion? Uh, was that an, a new experience for you? Yeah, um, it kind of felt like I was a professor myself. It was kind of a, um, a fun thing to do. It was, um, but at the same time, it also let me kind of understand the readings a bit more and provide a bit more in-depth analysis than just like reading it and expecting a lecture for the class. So uh -huh. it's definitely a good learning experience. Yeah, and uh, did your fellow students cooperate in the discussion? Did they have insightful responses and and the like. Uh, there were definitely some off classes, but I think in some of the more interesting readings, like later in the semester, when we specifically talked about like the 21st century and economic development, um, there was a bit more class discussion, definitely. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to you. I I'm going to find out what your favorite book was. Okay. Uh, Malik, how was yours organized? Uh, my class was organized where, kind of similar to Addison, where it was like one, around one book a week, where um, we would go into class and Professor Feeney would have questions for us that we would um, have a class discussion with, like in more of talk about like what our feelings about the book was and like the most important details from each chapter. In a different way, uh, we, the way we did class, some of the class discussions was we would all be assigned a, a chapter from that book and then we have to like basically out outline the main details of that chapter to the rest of the class. And then other people can like chime in with like other points that they thought that were really important that they thought we should be discussed that we should discuss more and i think it really helped out because these books can be sometimes pretty dense especially when it's like talking about science as it's not really like my my like my forte uh it really helped out in remembering stuff that i read like say from like chapter one but if i had like chapter six to read like i really intensely read that but then later on in the class i was able to like hear from them and then just like really remember it and like write it down. Yeah, so the seminar uh, structure allowed you to learn from your fellow students. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really uh, an interesting way of doing it because I feel like a lot of the classes uh, I've taken weren't like really like that. It was um, 
it was more of just like the students having a discussion that was kind of like back and forth between each other rather than just having a professor like lecture you and like about what we read it was um it was more involving like involving among the students yeah great and Sienna, has uh, Professor Fina's organized your seminar in a similar fashion? Yeah, pretty much the same as um, Malik just described. Uh, he assigns really dense research readings a lot of the time, so it is really helpful that he does it chapter by chapter because it, it just allows you to kind of parse through the information uh, kind of in doses so you can understand it more easily. And then the structure of the seminar is essentially cumulative because as each person is presenting their chapter, you we kind of develop together as a class like an understanding of what the thesis of the whole book is so it kind of um, reveals itself to us throughout the class right so in preparing for that uh, so you have a chapter that that you're responsible for uh, did you find that you uh, read the other chapters as intent i mean obviously probably not as intently as the one you have to prepare for but uh, did you actually uh, uh, read all, the whole book or did you there find yourself be, well, there would be certain books where I would skim ahead because the next chapter seemed interesting but I definitely remembered my own points more because I had to say them out loud yeah so okay well great uh, so Sienna uh, in the in the seminar you're taking right now uh, what's been your the, your favorite book so far the one you found most interesting the one that I've loved so so far is definitely After Obama. Um, that's a book where a bunch of political scientists have contributed chapters, and it's an, essentially a debate about um, the effectual nature of Obama's presidency, um, critiques of Obama, what he could have done better versus what he did well for the black and Latino community specifically. Um, and it, it's interesting because there's so much disagreement about that topic, and it, it um, allowed for a really interesting class discussion. Yeah, so that sounds very interesting to me. So, so you kind of dive deeply into this issue of what difference did it make to have the first black president, yes. Professor Obama, for the African-American community? Uh, did that make, uh, at the time that Obama was elected, uh, there was a lot of, I think, a lot of idealism that somehow we are, the country was moving beyond race you heard that kind of thing. So this book looks into that and says, what really was the impact? Yeah, so you have that one side, like you said, the idealism, and then the other side is completely critical of Obama. Um, there was one political scientist who even said, like, he wasn't the first black president, which was a pretty controversial claim in class. Okay, good. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that elicited a lot of discussion among students that, that took different positions, I presume, right? Of course, yeah. So Dr. Athene pretty much sat back and let us duke it out amongst ourselves. Yeah, great. That sounds very interesting. Uh, and so, so Malik, what's was your most interesting book? Um, I would say I don't know if I had one specifically interesting book, um, because the the way that it was set up was we started off with a scientific uh, aspect of climate change, and then as we progressed, we got into like the effects of it, and then also into like how, how it's impacting like different groups of people like one of the books was about like the indigenous people in like uh south america then another one about the indigenous people in like um like scandinavia and like the upper like eastern european region so like i don't know if i would necessarily have one book i think 
if I had to choose one, it would be like the Thinking Person's Guide to uh, Climate Change by uh, I think it's Henson. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I, I'm not exactly sure the it's name. Okay. Um, the reason I think that was would probably be my favorite. It was definitely probably the, one of the more dense books that we had to read, but it gave me a really good outline of like what is what what is happening, like why is it happening, and then like how can we like kind of like try and solve these uh, solve this issue of climate change. And I think it was just really well written to like help like a person that doesn't know much about it like learn about the issue. Yeah. So in the book, he suggests some various solutions. Uh, which one stood out to you as perhaps the most important or one that would be most effective in addressing this big problem? I would say really like um, really any of the carbon capture techniques. There were some really interesting ones where they put the carbon like under the ground, which I don't think was is a great solution to the problem, but I think it's definitely one of the more interesting ones that they've come up with. They've also thought about th um, shooting up, I forget what the exact like chemical is, but it's like a to get an aerosol thing into the air that like reflects the sun to help right. with the UV, with the global warming aspect of it. I think those are like two of like the most interesting like like um, solutions to the problem that could be yeah. uh, solvable. So those are technological solutions. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it strikes me that shooting stuff up into the air to reflect the sun's rays might have some unintended consequences. Yeah, it uh, it goes into a lot of detail. The good, the, the really interesting thing about it is, it he would give you these solutions, and then he would also tell you why they they don't like they may not work. Like so, for example, like the shooting, like say whatever whatever the uh, substance is into the air. The problem is, is if you do too much and they don't know how much you have to do, it could really cool the planet too much and send us in the opposite direction. So. Right, right. That sounds kind of risky to me. Mm -hmm. I would, uh, I would, I would myself perhaps think uh, just building some more wind farms yeah. <laughs> might mm -hmm. be a, and, and stop burning you know fossil fuels might be a more a safer approach but anyway that's those are interesting technological uh, innovations uh, to, to think about uh, and Addison in, in in your seminar a favorite book uh, well I always enjoy reading Keynes um, I think his work definitely helped kind of develop this understanding of expanding the social welfare state we see in the United States. Uh, so I always enjoy reading him, but I would say probably my favorite was Easterly's um, The White Man's Burden. And in the book, he kind of outlines the difference between like planners and searchers um, as actors within foreign aid. So planners are kind of the people who they think they understand foreign aid. They're just going to keep like throwing money at the problem without actually understanding it um, from kind of the more like societal implications. They only see it as like a technical issue. And then you have the searchers, those who understand that poverty is kind of like this really like intrinsic and complex issue that needs much more than just like throwing money at a problem, which is also what I kind of um, focus my thesis on. But what's really interesting though is that Easterly himself, he used to work for the World Bank. He's an NYU professor now. And seeing him be so critical of humanitarian aid and foreign aid assistance to developing countries, um, I think kind of shows how it's much more of a systemic issue that needs to be fixed. I thought it was a really interesting book. Yeah, super. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit about your papers. Of course, a, 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 an important part of this seminar, this is called a research seminar, and so you have to do some research and produce a major uh, research project. So uh, let me hear a little bit about your research papers and, uh, and what, uh, what, what those were about. And Alice, Addison, you've already mentioned it, so why don't you start us off? What did you, 
uh, research and, and write about uh, for your seminar? So my primary research question was how did direct foreign aid contribute to social and political inequities through the perpetuation of power asymmetry theory in Haiti, um, particularly during the 2010 earthquake and then afterwards? Um, so the United States has given billions of dollars to Haiti um, for humanitarian aid assistance. Um, but at the same time, why is it that Haiti has also kind of experienced such a tumultuous time, both economically and politically? Um, obviously, we saw last summer um, their president was assassinated. Why are they getting so much money to go toward developmental assistance, um, yet they're still institutionally stagnant? And so I specifically applied um, power asymmetry theory. Um, I can go a little bit more into that later, but um, just kind of like the theoretical implication is that um, in these bilateral and multilateral relations that a lot of like Western institutions have um, with a state actor like Haiti, um, there exists this kind of asymmetrical power dynamic. So when you like keep giving money um, toward institutional development, but it's not actually doing anything, that creates this kind of asymmetrical power relation um, and this kind of imbalance um, between state and non-state actors. Um, and I like created my own model for it. And it was just um, really interesting to see how why is it that when you give so much money to a certain country, it's not actually doing anything, it's just making them aid-dependent um, and not aid-reliant to like bolster their own economic development? Okay, so, so aid-dependent. So you're saying giving all this money, say, to Haiti doesn't really help Haiti uh, develop an economic infrastructure on its own. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, because Obviously, I'm not denouncing foreign aid. I do think it's important, especially in the short term, um, specifically for like emergency humanitarian aid assistance. But what ends up happening is that you're not letting these own countries engage in their own capital solutions. So you're not letting them actively engage in the private sector, whether that's like uh, microfinancing or it's like trade liberalization. Um, when you're only giving them assistance without any actual accountability measures um, to make sure that that foreign assistance is actually going toward developmental aid. Um, that kind of creates this intrinsic issue of this kind of power imbalance, specifically within Western institutions. Yeah, so, okay, uh, so this power imbalance, what, what does that mean exactly? So when you have bilateral and multilateral institutions um, that obviously have so much money, particularly coming from the West, um, and when you're just kind of throwing money at the problem without actually letting developing nations like Haiti um, use that developmental aid to um, kind of bolster their own ins institutions, both economically and socially. Um, what that does is that it creates this power imbalance between the two. So in doing so, you're not, there's no real like democratization or trade liberalization efforts for Haiti um, because all this de developmental aid isn't really going toward um, like the long-term development of those countries um, because what happens is that we see in places like Haiti, um, corruption is rampant both politically and economically um, and there's just no real accountability measures in place to make sure that that developmental aid is going anywhere um, to kind of help the country. So it creates a stagnation which creates this power imbalance between the West and um, primarily like developing nations like Haiti. Okay, and so it makes a country like Haiti have to repeatedly uh, come back to the United States or a European country, some, you know, a wealthier country for assistance. Yeah. Yeah, without, without, uh, yeah. So, so what would be a better way, do you think? So my paper, I kind of outlined the way, I talked a little bit, up, a little bit about it before. Um, obviously, 
I still think that Haiti and other developing nations should still be getting foreign aid because I do think it's important to help bolster that development. But in implementing um, capital solutions, primarily trade liberalization, uh, microfinancing, engaging um, with a lot of the private banks too in these regions, by engaging specifically within the private sector um, to kind of try and balance out this like fiscal and economic hegemon that a lot of Western institutions have placed through developmental aid. Um, that's a that was primarily the solution that I found because that was also the solution of the books that we read um, throughout the semester. And then in doing that, um, they'll be able to transition away from this kind of aid-dependent state and aid-dependent model that we're currently seeing, um, not just in places like Haiti, but also in a lot of um, African nations. We're also seeing this kind of aid dependency transitioning away from that and letting them engage actively with their private sector will engage in democratization efforts, trade liberalization, and just general economic development for these countries. Okay, great. Well, that sounds very interesting, Addison. So. Malik, you want to tell us about your paper? Yeah, so for my paper, what I did was um, under Ofini's uh, guide, like guidance, he said to start like kind of broad. So I started with the uh, the topic of solar power and renewable energy, and to get to, and then as I go, once I start there, to start narrowing it down. So what I did was I looked at um, Solar Star in uh, in California, which is a utility scale solar plant, and like or solar farm as they call it. Uh, and what this is is basically. What I wanted to do was study if these solar farms have an imp a positive impact on climate change, society, and politics. And what I started off looking at was the fact different factors. The first thing I looked at was government policies, whether it's at the local, state, and federal uh, government. I wanted to understand if there's already policies that are going through that are, uh, are either benefiting or uh, positively affecting solar panel con uh, solar power construction, like renewable energies. And so what I did was. I found that, like, especially in California, it is, uh, it is, uh, they have been pushing really forward with renewable energy, especially solar power. And, like, one of their bills, it's Assembly Bill Number uh, 1124, where it mandates that all new buildings, like whether it's a commercial, residential, or any other forms of sites, have to have solar panels, that they're pushing away from um, fossil fuels. And so, uh, so that now I understood, the kind of got an idea of the government side of it. And then I looked at um, the climate change. As we know, in the United States, fossil fuels are like our leading source of energy. And it causes, the problem is it causes so much greenhouse emissions into our atmosphere that we need to find a certain solution or a different way of getting that energy to uh, combat climate change. So when I, what I looked at was, do, um, do these utility scale solar farms, are they effective in reducing carbon emissions? Like compared to like what it would be for like if it was a fossil fuel industry, um, I looked at I looked at that I looked at the ecological footprint that it ha that these solar farms can have on like whether it's at the local, state, and federal uh, state or like national level, and then I finally looked at society. I looked at like what um, c what citizens think about uh, the like solar farms and these massive like solar plants, and what I what I found was. Um, in the beginning of my studies, one of the factors is, is that a lot of people don't know what a, what that solar farm is or what it even looks like. So there's not really that much knowledge about it. And with that, when then what's really what I've really noticed is with very little knowledge, there's also um, the public perception of it isn't as good because it um, people don't like the change. They want to stick to the fossil fuels. Um, so that's what like the three factors I the, wanted to examine for my actual evidence of this uh, evidence of the paper and then my final conclusions so that once I went into the evidence section I looked at um, 
overall federal, like state and local policies and like seeing what the government has done to push towards uh, solar energy, solar energy. What I found is the Department of Energy is um, working towards getting 225 gigawatts of solar power towards their electrical grids. So they're trying to make it more clean energy, which is a great sign for my for my project and my research, because it's showing that there is interest in the government by the government to change our our ways when it comes to energy forms. And then I looked at um, the next thing was investments and investors, because with um, with these solar projects, you need not just the government to be involved. You need private indus- you need the private industry, the private sector. Um, so what I looked at was um, how much money is going into this industry from just private investments, and it's like billions and billions of dollars. Like Solar Star is actually owned by Berkshire Hathaway, which is a massive, um, a, a massive like um, I think it's a hedge fund or. It's- Warren Buffett's yeah, it's, uh, hedge fund, right? Yeah, it's a Berkshire Warren Buffett. Hathaway, yeah, yeah. they have like a subdivision of it, which is like um, Berkshire Hathaway, like energy. So they, they, they've been building solar farms across uh, California. And so what I noticed in that evidence part was there is a lot of growing interest in the uh, financial institutions and investors um, that it shows that public opinion can shift at this point like it's starting to shift towards like this is we need to start moving towards solar energy utility scale solar farms these uh uh, like massive projects then i looked at um california and their carbon emissions what i found is out of the out of their total uh percentage of carbon emissions in the state uh energy like like their energy like um production is 14 percent of it from the energy just just in the energy energy industry overall so if you start switching that over to utility scale solar, you can easily cut out a lot of the carbon emissions that would rather would otherwise be there. And then and, and currently, a lot of that you're, you're talking about the energy that's produced for electricity. Yeah. So a lot of that is from uh, natural gas or uh, oil uh, plants. Right. Currently, instead yeah. of solar. Yeah. Yeah. So like natural, like the natural gas, like natural gas, like by making more of these farms or reducing the amount of carbon emissions that are going in the air at that present time. Um, And then going into the, another thing with the climate change was I also found evidence about at the national level from different countries with the biggest, like the largest amount of solar power production. And what I found was um, as of right now, solar power doesn't have a very big impact on the ecological footprint of carbon emissions. And the main reason the the article states this is because to like have that massive an impact on like a nation, you need more solar. Like the threshold for the solar power is not there yet. So they say that they say that there needs to be more research and uh, things done by the government to push towards solar energy for there to actually for us to even see the impact of the eco- like the eco- ecological footprint. Then I for the last part was the pol- uh, was the public perception and citizens. I did a comparative analysis of two. Uh, pr- uh, uh, proposals on solar farms. There's one in Cleveland, United Kingdom, and then one in uh, Yucumba Springs, uh, California. And what I wanted to see was how do these people uh, perceive like a pr- proposal for a project? It's not even being built yet. It's just going up for proposal. And what I found was really interesting. What the research does in the Cleveland is they go only on online comments and just like people answering their questions about what their thoughts are were on the project. And relatively, they're mostly opposing the project for two main reasons. The first one was wildlife conservation, and the second one was land use. They found that these pro- since it's such a massive, like, uh, it takes so much land up, they're worried about like 
the present effect of it on like birds and other animals, and then also just like what they could use it for other forms, like for the land use. In the same, it was really interesting to see because in the Yakumba Springs is the same issue. A lot of people, um, the only difference was they had a lot more of issue about it being near their homes and like if it like being like too loud and stuff like that. So I found that pretty interesting that public perception is still not there yet. They're like, they um, don't really like, see it as a possible solution. They would rather just like stay in the current status quo. And then in my conclusion, what I found was the main implications of my study is that uh, it does have a positive impact. Uh, solar farms do have a positive impact on climate change. The only problem is it's only at the local level. So like the solar star outside, it's outside, it's in Kern County, like near uh, LA. So like that area, the community it serves, like the, that part of society, it, it does benefit them a lot because there's no more, it's a cleaner air quality. However, but like at the state level, it doesn't have that much of an impact at all. It's very, it's very minuscule compared to like what it, what, what it would be if it was at the like state level. Then going into the government policies, there's more push for it. And I find that, um, what was interesting is it's a relationship between solar, between these utility scale farms and then, um, uh, and then government policy. So what I found was if there's more investors or investments into the industry, it's going to push policymakers to make those pol make more policies that push towards it, towards this, uh, movement for, to cleaner energy. Um, and when, once that happens, like then solar energy will become more efficient and cheaper to produce. And that means there are even more investments into it. So it's an interesting relationship to see because they're like they're intertwined, whereas they have one has to ha they ha they both affect each other massively. And the last thing is, um, like I said, the public perception and like the society aspect of my paper. What I found is is there needs to be more um, push by the government or different people to educate um, the the public about what these solar farms can do. Um, there is what I found was interesting was the tension of like biodiversity and green policies where like people want to preserve wildlife conservation and like land use but they also want to combat climate change so what i wrote when i finished up my paper was what we needed to people needed to decide on is do we want to like look now and protect us now or do we want to protect us in the future and like also like protect our wildlife conservation in the future with like solar panels and transferring over to renewable energy right so uh, so, so one of the, so this public perception, uh, is there a way that you can address their concerns for, say, wildlife conservation uh, by the way those solar farms are constructed, or is it the case that solar farms are going to uh, harm wildlife? Uh, when I was doing, when I was looking, doing my research, there were some studies that do say that like it, it can like harm wildlife but they say it's like fairly minuscule compared to like if we don't change anything for like uh, greenhouse emissions like the impact in the future is going to be more harmful to like wildlife rather than which is like one solar farm that kind of reduces um reduces it okay well that's a very interesting uh, study malik uh, and i liked how you looked at how the various aspects of society have to interact for this to happen, hmm. uh, that you, you've got to have uh, a favorable government policy, but you also have to have some entrepreneurs who, who see profit opportunities in investing in, hmm. in uh, 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 solar farms, but, but then you've also got to be concerned about 
you know, what the public reaction is going to be. Right. Uh, so it's a, that's, that's a very, it sounds like a very complex uh, research project. Yeah, it took it, a lot of time. <laughs> took a lot of hours, right? Yeah, it Good. did. Okay, Sienna, so I presume that you're in the midst of doing a research project. It, you've got it several weeks before it's due, right? Yes, you'd be correct. I just passed in my rough draft last week, so we're, we just crossed the halfway point. I'm about halfway through the paper. Yeah, and so what's your topic? So I'm writing about the school-to-prison pipeline, which is a phenomenon that a lot of political science researchers have noted where black and Latino students are disproportionately um, punished in school, and then there's this trend of later on in life them going on to commit crime and being in, involved in the prison system. And um, this was interesting to me because I think school has a lot of um, rehabilitative power, uh, especially for troubled students with bad home life situations or that come from poverty. So I think it's um, a good opportunity to think about how we can reform the schooling systems to funnel students into um, vocations and secondary education as opposed to prison. Um, so the pipeline phenomenon itself posits that it's like this punitive treatment of these students that results in the continuation of this behavior. Um, and my project was or is currently interested in a cross-regional analysis of the pipeline and how different areas of the United States are combating it. So, um, so far I've, I've looked at referral and arrest rates um, in different states across the country. And um, particularly Texas has been interesting to me because they have, um, well, according to 2015 um, civil rights data collection, they have 14,000 referrals and 7,000 arrests. So half those students um, that got referred to law enforcement were arrested. And um, that was uh, particularly interesting because that was like way higher than any other state. <clears throat> so um, as I'm continuing my research, Texas is becoming a place that I'm really focusing on because the problem seems really prominent there. And um, it's also interesting because recently we've seen a lot of CRT debates in Texas, um, which for anyone that doesn't know, that's critical race theory, um, which is a debate over like, should um, more diverse curriculum be taught in schools? And this is something I'm kind of analyzing to see if this could be potentially positive for students of color to see themselves more represented in, in the curriculums and if this will help them to engage in school. Um, because the existing literature really focuses on like uh, we need a presence of mental health professionals and counselors in these schools, which is certainly true. I'm just interested in seeing if there's perhaps a factor that we're missing that can exacerbate the pipeline to be worse and what we can do to mitigate that. Okay. Well, that sounds like a very thorough first draft, Sienna. <laughs> Thank you. I think you're well on your way. <laughs> now, you submitted your first draft, so you get some co comments back from Professor Rafinha, right? Yeah, so uh, he's helping us workshop our drafts. So we would um, basically share to the class where we're at and what we're doing, and then um, he would give us some comments along with um, any other classmates that had any oh. suggestions as well. So. Oh, so that's great. So students, other students are also helping you with your paper. Yes. And you're helping other students with their papers. Yes. Uh, and that was true in your seminar with Dr. Rafinha as well, Malik, I assume. Uh, I think it was a little bit uh, different. I think that was one of the things we recommended at the end of our class, oh. um, where we were like, we, I think getting like kind of like more, he did do it, but I think getting a more insight from just even Professor Finia and then also the other students. I think we uh, I think we asked for more in the future. More of that would have been better. So it sounds like he's actually listened to yeah, our uh, recommendation. Like listen, yeah. Okay, so that's great. So 
Dr. Fina actually gets some feedback from you about how to make the experience more uh, helpful. Yeah. Oh, so great. So to, to finish up here, I'd like your reflections on, on what you think was valuable about this experience. How important was this seminar in, in your overall educational experience at Providence College? Uh, what do you take away from it? Uh, and and what, how important might it be for your future? Uh, Sienna, you haven't finished yet, but can you see uh, certain things about your experience that you find particularly valuable? Yeah, definitely. I would say so far, the authority that we have to finally take some initiative and do our own research has been um, really exciting because we're like up until now we've been reading other people's research. So now we're in the driver's seat and we're doing it. So it's, um, it's really exciting to be able to do something that you are passionate about and to find an answer to this question. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I would say. Oh, okay. So that's very interesting. That there's some empowerment here. Yeah. Uh, that that you're really discovering knowledge on your own, not just absorbing it. Exactly. Okay. Super. Malik, what about you? What do you? Uh, I thought the overall experience really um, illustrated how much I've learned here from the political science department at Providence College. Uh, what I want, what I did was. Um, throughout my paper, I was told to try and connect all, all the different classes that we had. Um, we had to take like the core ones, like international relations, like American politics, public policy, um, comparative politics, all that. And what I tried to do in my paper was combine all of them into one paper. So once I was able to do that and I completed it, I was very, um, I felt very achieved with what I was able to do because I going into the class I was like, uh, it was like a 40, 50 page paper that I had to write. And it was really daunting. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. But by the end of it, when I submitted the paper, and I was like, I was like, I did. I thought I felt like I did a really good jo job on it. I was really interested in my topic. Um, it was really overall just one of the one of the best experiences I had, just for myself, like as a gro growing as a person. And uh, I think it was definitely made my experience here at Providence College a lot better. Okay, super. And Addison, for you, what's your takeaway from your experience last semester? International relations is still my favorite part of political science, um, and I loved all the classes I've been able to take here for it. And I think with this senior seminar, being able to see kind of the effects of like the physical and human capital um, of like real life globalization processes, um, particularly in developing nations, I think was just such an interesting part of the class. Um, and all the books we were able to read from much more of like an economic standpoint, being able to use that and like analyze it from a more social and political view. Um, was also um, probably one of my favorite parts of the class. Um, and I think just overall to like my understanding of political science and the political experience, kind of seeing that real life analysis of real economic and fiscal policies and seeing um, the effects it has on real people in real time was um, such a great part of the, um, the class too. Okay, I've got two more questions for you all. Uh, so my next to the last question is, what advice would you give a student who was getting at the beginning of this uh, seminar, somebody was coming into the seminar, uh, what advice would you give them to get the most out of the experience? Oh uh, yeah, I can start with that. Sure. Uh, um, I would say uh, whatever, when you're, when you're registering for classes, it's the first step. Really look at the, like, the different like classes and 
think, which one do you think you don't know that much about, but you really want to learn more about? Um, and then once you're actually in the class, I would say, um, just, just like before you even start anything, just like look up ideas. Like think, just think to yourself, like what, what do you want to study? Like I didn't, I, wa- I knew I wanted to study renewable energy going into it, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I found out about these sol- this solar star and this um, utility scale solar, but I wouldn't have known about that if I didn't do like some like the early research is like trying to find something interesting and like that I never thought of that I could talk about. Great. Sienna, your advice for a future student. Um, I'm still taking my own advice at the moment, but for a future student, I would say you really want to lean on your professor's expertise and, and let them guide you through this experience because these professors have, you know, a lot of expertise in what they're doing. So definitely, um, even like Malik just said, like, before you take the class, Google all these professors and see what they do, see what they've done before. I think that'll help make your decision easier too. Um, And then when you're actually in the class, like something I'm still learning at the moment is that your paper and your thesis are amorphous and they're going to change. So just be prepared for, you know, to be adaptable to the experience because your research might negate your your initial hypothesis and that's okay. You just wanna be open to that and let it go where the data leads you. Yeah, that's good advice for any kind of research. You Sometimes it takes you a place that you weren't imagining when you started out, right? Okay, and Addison? Well, I would say for my specific seminar, it probably helped to take an econ class beforehand. Um, I took 101 and 102, my time here at um, Providence College, and both of those helped me because we read books primarily from economists. Um, but I think just like broadly speaking, um, always try and like branch out and take classes, not just within political science, but also a lot of cross-curricular ones as well. Um, like um, like the uh, school-to-prison pipeline, obviously a lot of sociology classes touch on that um, and taking classes pertaining to it always help too um, with that area of study. But I also agree with Sienna. I think it's really important to um, do your research, um, look into like which classes you actually want to take and which seminar seems interesting to you, um, or even take a seminar that you probably might not have any like real knowledge of and use that research experience to kind of broaden your own understanding both academically and just for the real world. Okay. Well, that all sounds very wise to me. Uh, I'm sure future students could could learn a lot from listening to uh, what you suggested. So my final question, this is always a dangerous one. You're all seniors. You're going to be graduating in a few weeks. So plans for the future. Uh, what what are your plans, Malik? What are you going to be doing? Do you think? Uh, yeah. So actually, um, I got a job offer. Um, um, I'm going to be working in the financial consulting for Guidehouse, which is the reason why I'm in financial consulting is because it's, my minor is finance. But the interesting thing about it is I'll be consulting for the public sector in Washington D.C. So I thought it was like a perfect mix of my two like my two major like disciplines that I learned here, um, and it's going to be interesting to see like working in the private sector, but also helping out the public sector. Okay, super. That sounds like an interesting prospect. Addison, do you have plans for next year? Or? So I'm sure like everyone else, uh, the pandemic really messed up my plans during college and a little bit post-college. So I'm currently taking a gap year. I applied for a few positions, um, paralegal positions in the area, um, doing a gap year. Then I'm going back into the law school admission cycle. Okay, so you're, you're planning on becoming a lawyer eventually. 
Yeah, I hope to pursue a career in law, um, probably private interest at first, and then probably expanding out into criminal justice reform, um, education reform, something similar. Okay, good. And Sienna, do you have any plans for next year? Yes. So, um, like Addison, I want to take some time for myself. So, I have a few trips lined up, which will be fun, because I didn't get to go abroad. And um, I'm also going to be working as a paralegal for my mom's law firm, which will be cool. But um, law isn't actually my interest anymore. It was at one point because, you know, me and my mom are actually really similar. So she would always make jokes about me being a lawyer. But um, at, at the current moment, I'm more interested in doing publishing and editorial journalism work. So I have some um, internships and some um, other positions that I've applied to as well to get like for the fall and in the summer as well. Okay, so you want to be a writer, a journalist, yes. maybe. Yes, that's the goal. Yeah, super. Or maybe a podcaster. Maybe. Because that seems to be a very <laughs> common uh, form of journalism nowadays. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much to all of you. Uh, uh, Sienna Strickland, uh, Malik Alwani, uh, Addison Wakelin, uh, for uh, spending some time with us and telling us about your experience in uh, this research seminar course. Uh, and thanks also to Isabella Fernandez, our producer, who's going to make this a, a beautiful uh, produced episode. And thanks to the Marketing and Communications uh, Department of Providence College that supports this podcast. And thanks to our listeners. Please tell four friends about Beyond Your News Feed.